Welcome to Speaking of Grace, the weekly message podcast from the Whole Life Church in Orlando, Florida. We're a multi-ethnic, multicultural, and multi-generational congregation committed to our mission of loving people into a lifelong friendship with God. We are committed to our vision of being a church without walls, fully engaged in serving the people of our community. Thank you for joining us as we continue Speaking of Grace. That was fun. You feel Jesus here today? That's always awesome, isn't it? Yeah. I feel like now's a great time to mention because I heard so many people speaking Spanish so well. I want to go ahead and point out to you that we translate our services into Russian, Portuguese, and nobody has stepped up to translate Spanish. I would do it but God will have to give me the gift of tongues for that to happen. So I'm thinking a few of you who are singing really loud in Spanish, I'm just saying, you know, we need a team of people. Can't just be one person. We need a team of people. So, but you know, if you speak Spanish and you like to, we have an amazing translation app. It's the coolest thing because you run it right off your phone. You can put earbuds in and, and you hear the service in, in the language that's being translated. So we have Portuguese, Russian, and I hope soon, Spanish. That'd be great. All right, let's pray. God, I want to ask you to help me speak correctly about you. With this topic in particular, Lord, I don't want to get it wrong. And so, Lord, I know humanly I will get it wrong. So I'm asking for your spirit to help me get it right. I pray in your name. Amen. So, uh, for those of you who may not understand what's happening right now, we have a series of sermons called Great Question. And the way that this works is we know that, that all of you, I've, I've sat in congregations and been, man, why does that pastor never talk about, <laughs> insert whatever it is that, that you want them to talk about. So, here at Whole Life, we take away that excuse because every year, for one month, I do a series of sermons called Great Question where you get to pick the topic that I'm going to preach on. So if you're not hearing a topic, that's on you, not on me now. Okay, so that's, so that's on you. And so this is the first sermon in this series. And so here's our first question uh, that I received last week. It's important to know, by the way, I think it's worth pointing out. For those of you who want to know how I do things, I generally plan my sermons about a year in advance. So I kind of, I can tell you pretty much a year from now what I'm going to be preaching about. And so I start thinking about it early. So I found out what I was going to be preaching about last Sabbath. So just saying. All right. So in the Bible, Jesus says, your faith has healed you. What does this mean? And if I'm not healed, does that mean that I don't have enough faith? Why don't we see miracles like in the Bible? Good question, yeah? No, it's a great question. Thank you. It is a great question. It's a question that a lot of us wrestle with at some point in our life. If you haven't wrestled with it, I'm not trying to make you feel nervous or anything, but you will wrestle with it. It's, it's an inevitable part of being a human being. And I want to kind of, before I jump into this question, I want to go ahead and, and put a little bit of a caveat around it, all right? 
There are a few of you that when you see this, you see the question you say, and it says, why don't miracles happen today like in the Bible? You're like, but they do. I know because this has happened to me and that's happened to me and I see miracles happen. I know that they happen today. I know this because a few of you emailed me this week to make sure that I knew that miracles still happened today. And I appreciated it. And I agree. However, I also want you to be sensitive to the person that sat in my office several years ago, not here, but in another place that I pastored, and said, Ken, I'm over 50, and in my entire life, I feel like God has never once done anything for me. I have prayed, I have begged, I've asked God to show up, and God never shows up. Does God just not like me? I want you to know that's probably one of the hardest questions a pastor you can get. Because the easy answers are are going to be the wrong answers when you start trying to talk about this. And so today, I want you to know no matter where you are on the spectrum when it comes to this question, whether you're like, Ken, this is an easy one. Miracles still do happen today. Um, And yes, your faith does make you whole. Whether you're on that complete side or if you're on the other, you're like, you know what? No. I don't even know if there is a God sometimes because if there was, I can't imagine that God, I know I've had the faith and God just doesn't show up for me. Whichever side you're on, I want you to know that at Whole Life, you're loved, wanted, and we're here for you. Okay? And there isn't something wrong with you if you're over here. We're here to love and and work through this together. And so that's kind of where I want to start off this message with. I want you to know that that this is a tough question. It's one that a lot of theologians have written a lot of books about. I could do probably a full year series on this one question, and it wouldn't touch all the material there is. So let's see what we can do in the next 20 minutes. What I want to do is take a look at seven verses that are found in the books of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. These are what we call the synoptic gospels. These are the the first three. John does his own thing because that's what John always did. And as Melanie let you know. And so what I like to do is take a look at these seven verses. Why are we taking a look at these seven verses? Because when I started looking for the phrase, your faith has healed you. These are the seven times that I find Jesus saying this in the Gospels. Now, some of you are going to be like, okay, come on, there's more than seven. Not really, not this exact phrase. There's plenty of places where Jesus says, your faith is great. There's another place where it says, seeing their faith, Jesus said. But I'm looking for the exact phrase that says, your faith has healed you. So these are the seven verses. I want to take a look at it and see if as we look at these verses, they give us a clue to the question that was asked. So these seven verses are actually only four stories because a couple of of these stories are recorded in multiple gospels. So let's start off with this story that's found in the book of Mark and Luke. And it's the story of a man who is blind. Mark actually gives him a name, which is pretty significant because an interesting little fact, read through the Gospels and see if I'm wrong, there is only one place where a person who is healed is given a name. Their name is used. Now, you're going to say Lazarus was raised from the dead. Yes. 
but I'm talking about the other healings that are taking place, okay? This is one of the very rare instances where somebody who is healed is actually given more than just what's wrong physically with them. Bartimaeus is given a name. Theologians think that maybe because he became somebody very prominent in the early church. And so, you know, Mark wanted to go, hey, you remember Bartimaeus, the guy that couldn't see anything before? Yeah, that, that Bartimaeus. And so maybe that's why he's named. We don't know for sure. But Bartimaeus is blind. He can't see. He's uh, sitting by the road outside of Jericho begging. And he hears that Jesus, a healer, a prophet perhaps, is coming through town. And so he starts yelling out, son of David, have mercy on me. And I'm not going to get into the whole story because it's a great one. I'm not going to get into the whole story of all these. But this is the overview of it. Jesus hears him. And even though the crowd says, be quiet and don't bother Jesus... Jesus hears the cry, says to Bartimaeus, what do you want? And Bartimaeus says, I want my sight. And Jesus says, go for your faith has healed you. And instantly Bartimaeus could see and he followed Jesus down the road. And Luke says it this way. Jesus says, all right, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. So there's that phrase, your faith has healed you. Let's take a minute to take it apart a little bit. Um, in the original language that the New Testament was written in, which is Greek, the word for faith is the one that you see on the screen behind me. I'm not even going to try to pronounce it because I'm terrible at pronouncing words that aren't in English. I'm pretty bad at English words as well. Um, and so, so let's define what this word is. I could give you the Strong's Concordance definition of it, but I really honestly just like what Hebrews has to say. I feel like this is the best definition for faith that you can find anywhere. Hebrews 11 says, Now faith is the certainty of things hoped for, a proof of things not seen. So apparently if you can see it, you're not really necessarily having to exercise faith. That's more of a logic thing. So basically faith is believing something that you really can't see. Maybe it doesn't make sense. So that's faith. But what about the word that's used for heal? This is the word in the original language for heal. And here's where I really want you to, if you're not paying attention, just spend two minutes paying attention to this part right here. But you're all paying attention, so why am I saying that? That's bad, bad homiletics to say that you're not paying attention. I'm sorry. But pay attention. All right. So this word becomes very important because... I want to ask you a question. Is there a difference between the word cure and the word heal? There is. And I want you to look at the way that Strong's Concordance, which is kind of the biblical dictionary for giving definitions of biblical words, how it defines this word. To save a suffering one from perishing, i.e. one suffering from disease, to make well, to heal, to restore to health. This is one of the ways that it can be. But I want you to understand that it's even deeper than that. It can convey a sense of emotional healing. Not simply physical healing. In fact, this word can be used to describe the experience of salvation. Okay? So this becomes really important. Your faith has healed you. So I wanted to set that up because the next couple verses, you're going to need to understand this. So let's go ahead and take a look. We've looked at two verses out of seven. So let's go ahead and look at the second story and our next verse. This one uh, out of Matthew 9 is actually in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. 
Gospels. In all three of those Gospels, it's the story of a woman who has a, a bleeding condition. And let me just say for a second that this goes a little bit deeper than some of us might really appreciate in the room today. If you have a bleeding condition today, in today's world, you are probably sitting here worshiping with us. And nobody probably knows about it, except for maybe the people closest to you and your primary care provider, hopefully. But if you had a bleeding condition in Jesus' time, as this woman did, you were not allowed to be around church people. You weren't allowed to come to church. You were not to touch or be touched. Because if you were touched or you touched someone else, it made them unclean, which kept them from going to church. Okay? So, for a minute, think about this. I don't know whether a bleeding condition is painful or not. I imagine that there is a pain component to it. But I wonder what was the most painful part of this woman's condition. Was it the physical pain or was it the social isolation? You'll have to answer that for yourself. I'm not here, to, I'm just saying, which one? You'll have to answer in your own mind. Was it the feeling that you couldn't go to church because you weren't worthy of God? Because you must have done something to deserve this? It's significant that this woman reaches out and touches the hem of Jesus' robe because by doing so, she made him ceremonially unclean. And Jesus should have been furious with her by the standard of his time. But I want you to read the tender language. Sweet daughter, be encouraged. Your faith has made you well. And the woman was healed at that moment. This is the way that Mark records it. Go in peace. And this is what I think is very interesting. Your suffering is over. All of them record this idea of peace out of this situation, which is not just a simple physical act. It is very much an emotional thing. And for so many people who are suffering from ailments and illness and disability, it isn't just that that hurts. It is a sense of alienation a sense of being looked at as less than, a sense that you can't be because you, you follow me? When I talk to my friends who suffer through these things, who have disability, who, who have these issues, they can't, they hate pity and they really hate the feeling that they're not somehow as worthy as the rest of us. And many times we unintentionally make them feel that way by unintentionally being condescending, assuming that they can't when they can, giving them the opportunity to try. But that's not how Jesus operates. Jesus restores and puts back into community so that's our second story. Let's move to our third story. In this story, and this is a fun one, 
Jesus says to the man, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. Look up the story and see who he's talking to. In this story, there are 10 people, 10 men who have leprosy. They ask Jesus to heal them. Jesus heals all 10. Nine of them run off to go do their thing. And the 10th guy comes back to Jesus and says, hey, thank you. <laughs> and Jesus, and this is where the story, and Jesus says, stand up and go, your faith has healed you. But he says that after he marvels at the fact that who came back to thank him? It wasn't one of the nine Jewish men that he healed. Rather, it was the Samaritan. It's an interesting thing about suffering, that suffering often uh, levels the playing field. You see, these lepers were not allowed into society. They weren't allowed to be around other people. And so suddenly their racist views of each other were erased because these are the only people we can hang out with because we are in the same suffering situation. And when those 10 were healed, nine of them were like, dude, adios. We're back to what we were before. You're an outcast, buddy, because you're a Samaritan. You're not like us. You're not as good as us. You're not as worthy as us. We're on our way to do our thing in our temple. Good luck. I'm reading a little bit into the story, but that's the way it reads to me. But this guy comes back to Jesus. And what I want to really point out to you is that Jesus enters into relationship with this man. He says, you're actually better than the other nine. You're actually the one that's grateful. What does that say about who is connected to God and who's not? So healing happens, but it goes so much further. The final story is the one I really want you to think about. In this story, a man named Simon has a feast at his house, and Jesus is invited. Simon's a Pharisee. And we have a uh, party crasher. A lady comes in, a lady of uh, bad moral standing within the community. And this woman comes in and she puts expensive perfume on Jesus' feet. And she weeps over him. She washes his feet with her hair. And Simon and the others there think to themselves, if Jesus knew what this woman was about, if he knew how evil she was and how sinful she was, he wouldn't let her touch him because, I mean, gross. And Jesus actually rebukes them. He says to Simon, you know, the person who's forgiven the most is usually the most grateful. What does it say that you didn't even wash my feet when I came in today? And yet here she is washing my feet with her tears and her hair. And then he says to the woman, your faith has healed you. We translate it saved. It's the exact same word as all the others. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Are you catching on to something about this when it says your faith has healed you? Is there a physical element to it? Absolutely. But is there also a spiritual and emotional element to healing? You know, as Americans, we're real big fans of doing. 
And so when we have a disability or when we have something that limits us, we get really, really concerned because we, we were, in our opinions, created to do, to achieve. To... And we have to remember that in Jesus' time, they had a different set of priorities. In Jesus' time, it was far more important to be. To be in community. And so in that aspect, when Jesus starts healing people, what becomes significant is Jesus takes each one of these people and restores them to community. By healing their physical ailment, Jesus gets something that's out of the way of the community allowing them in. Wasn't in Jesus' way to let them in, was in the community's way to let them in. And when Jesus heals these people, it allows them, the community, to finally from the physical aspect, catch up what should have been happening spiritually, community-wise. So, as we think about what it means to be healed, what does it mean to be healed? Is it just a physical healing? Is it possible to be physically healed without being spiritually and emotionally healed? Is it possible to be spiritually healed and not be physically healed? Is one better than the other? And I know what we're all going to say, together they would be great. <laughs> but can I tell you, that God doesn't always make sense? There are some things that don't make sense to me. And the part that, that frustrates me, if I'm going to be very transparent with you, is that I've never had a doubt that God was capable of healing a single person that I've asked for healing for. As a pastor, there is not a single time I don't believe that I've ever prayed for somebody to be healed and believe that God couldn't do it. Now, there's been a lot of times where I've wondered if he would do it. And if there's anything that frustrates me as a ambassador of Christ, it is to go pray for something for somebody that I know is a good thing and to not see it happen. And you go home and you say, well, did I not have enough faith? Did the, did, I mean, you know, because the other part of it is there's a story in the Bible where four friends lower their paralyzed friend to the ground and it says, seeing their faith, Jesus healed this person. So, so I'm not going to blame the person who isn't. What, what about my faith? Is my faith not good enough to help this person that I love, that I care about, that means something to me? And if I'm going to be truthful with you, it makes me angry. It makes me angry sometimes. It made me angry when, when one of my daughter's classmates' father was diagnosed with, with incurable cancer. And I went and prayed over him, anointed him, and I knew God could heal him. But you know what I really knew? I knew that his diagnosis gave him three months to two years to live, medically speaking. And you know what his daughter said at the anointing? Because I always ask anointing, what is it that you want God to do for you? Just, I mean, the Bible says you don't receive because you don't ask. So let's just ask. 
You know what his daughter said? His daughter didn't say, please make my dad be able to live forever. His daughter said, I want God to allow my dad to live long enough to watch me graduate, which was less than 12 months away. And I, to this day, am frustrated with God because he died three months later. And I don't know why God couldn't at least work within the medical possibilities. I don't understand. I don't get it. And I know I had the faith. I don't, maybe that sounds like arrogant, but I know it. I know it because I know that God can do it. I have prayed over people and seen miraculous things. I've seen those kind of prayers be answered. So here's how I want to end. I want to end with a good friend of mine. His name is Fred Riffle. When I first started pastoring, he was the chaplain at the Seventh-day Adventist boarding school on the campus of the church, or our church was on their campus, actually. And Fred was the chaplain, and I was so fortunate to start pastoring with him there because he had been a pastor. He was a very wise, wonderful man. And as chaplain and Bible teacher at Upper Columbia Academy, one of Fred's responsibilities was to take all the seniors out on senior survival. If you don't know what that is, let me explain it to you really quick. This is where all the high school seniors get dumped off in the middle of nowhere with a 10 by 10 foot piece of plastic and some rope and a little bit of food and they're told to survive. And they do a bunch of really fun stuff. I know that doesn't sound fun, trust me. The kids look forward to it, just trust me on this. And before I go any further, I think I, don't, I want to back up just a second here. I want you to know that I have Fred's permission to tell the story that I'm about to tell, because it's important to me that you not feel like I would ever tell one of your stories without your permission to share it, okay? So I have the permission to share this story. So every year, Fred would take, be a part of the team that took these seniors out and, um, and did this. And one of the activities that they did with them was a trust fall off of a six-foot platform. So what you're going to see is Fred's going to be standing on that platform here in a second. And, and you're going to fall backwards into the arms of teenagers. Yeah. Um, but here's what I really want you to understand, that it becomes even more significant. This is a team-building thing. This is a trust-building thing. Some of you have done this before. But Fred took it to a different place than I'd ever seen it taken before because Fred challenged each one of the seniors. He said, there's something going on probably in every single one of your life that you don't understand why God's allowing it. And I want you to set that thing on the platform, and I want you to fall backwards trusting God to catch you. And as you watch Fred struggle to go backwards, I want you to know what he left, what he left on that platform. Fred's son had been diagnosed with degenerative eye disease that was going to leave him completely blind. And Fred had prayed over him, he had anointed him, and the, he, was not, he was not cured. It just kept progressing. And that's incredibly difficult as a father, as a mother, as a parent. It's, it's incredibly hard for his son. And here Fred is, a pastor. Why won't God do something good? And so every year, Fred would share with those seniors that he was putting his son on that platform. And I don't think that Fred physically enjoyed doing this, but I think that the emotional, spiritual side of it made it so hard for him. He was always the first one to go off. And you would just watch the, the, just the angst of trying to trust God. 
And to believe, because there's that second, if you've ever done a trust fall, when, when you finally go, there's that moment where you're like, nobody's down there. And it feels that way often with God, doesn't it? Often with God. We did catch him. (laughs) But what I want you to see is, see how those kids embrace Fred? That's what the body of Christ was meant to do. We are the body of Christ and we do bring healing today to those who suffer. We do. We have the privilege of being the hands and feet. And when God doesn't bring about physical healing from something that we all know that he absolutely could do, we have the privilege of being his arms that hug that person and say, it doesn't mean I don't love you. We have the privilege of gathering with that person saying, if your faith isn't strong enough, we're here to have faith for you. If you're questioning the goodness of God, we're with you. We're not condemning you for struggling because it's hard to fall off of a six-foot platform. And it's even harder to trust those you love into God's hands when it doesn't seem like God's catching them. I want to close off with this thought. It is not wrong to be angry at God and to question God. And if you think it is, rethink, because Job did. Job questions God. He says, I don't deserve what's happening. Uh, you, why, why are you afflicting somebody who's done nothing wrong? He tells God, I wish you hadn't let me be born. It would have been better for me never to be born than to go through what I'm going through. Does that not sound angry and questioning to you? And I want you to know that God never gives Job an answer. He basically just says to Job, were you there when I created the world? Do you know how to create animals? And Job goes, well, you know I wasn't, you know I don't. And God goes, well then, there's your answer. Not particularly satisfactory. But you know what Job does? And this is the faith element. Job never lets go of God. He's angry at God. But he says these beautiful words, though he slay me, yet, yet will I trust him. And you know, the interesting thing is Job's friends gather around, they started to make, make meaning out of it. Well, Job, you must have done something, you must have done this, you must have done that. Come on, Job. And you know what God says in the end to those friends? I'm angry with you. You've sat, you haven't spoken accurately about me. As my servant Job has. The guy that was questioning. The guy that was upset. Job spoke accurately, the friends did not. You know, family, sometimes when we're comforting those who are suffering, maybe we don't need to try to make sense of it. Maybe we just need to love, walk alongside, say when the healing doesn't come the way that you want it to come, I'm still with you on that trip. I want to be healing to you. I do believe that our faith heals us. I don't know that our faith always cures us. 
Well, we get a chance right now to do a little bit of feedback, but we don't have a lot of time. So um, one question. We'll do one question. And then for those of you that uh, don't know about this, every Tuesday we have a, a group of us, uh, Ken and Randy and Melanie and myself, and we talk about some of these questions that come in. So we'll deal with these on the podcast. And that'll come out on Wednesday. But uh, we do have a lot of questions, but I'm going to get to one, and I'm so glad you talked about this, because while you were speaking, one of our members got word that a, a very dear friend of theirs, uh, right here in Advent Health, was diagnosed with stage five cancer. So we had prayer in the foyer while you're speaking about this very topic, and I'm glad you brought up the story of Job. So Melanie actually, I'm going to bring this question uh, to her. Melanie actually asked, is faith something we can, if is faith something we can conjure up on our own? Is it something that we strive for and practice to make perfect? Or since Jesus says he's the author and finisher of our faith, is the amount of strength and faith that we have not up to it's not up to us? Then why would he be so amazed at a person's faith when he's the originator of it? I don't feel like Melanie gets to ask questions. <laughs> if that's the same Melanie. Maybe it's not. Um, boy, what a good question. I feel yeah. like that's the next sermon in this series, maybe. Yeah. Um, can I just say I'll get to that at the podcast? Okay. I want to have some time to think about that. That's a good one. And I don't want to just off the cuff it. It is a, good, it is a really good question. Um, so. do, you, do you want another one? Or we can... No, we'll just call it good for now. Okay, we'll, we'll deal with the question... You guys are scary. We're me. getting him off easy. It's okay. He's a little bit. It's one o'clock. You guys are ready to go eat, right? So, I'm doing this for you, not he's, for me. I guess he's shell shocked by this series. But by the way, really good. We're so glad you handled this topic. Yeah, and, no, this is this is fun, and it's good good for me to be able to do this stuff. So, yeah. um, by the way, uh, one of the questions that did come in wasn't a question; it was a request. If you don't watch the podcast or listen to the podcast, I should say, you're not going to understand what's going to happen at the end. That's on you, not on me. Um, and so there's a, um, this, this week on our podcast, we actually did a bonus episode on Thursday. The bonus episode is called Chuck Nasty. If that's not enough encouragement for you to go listen to it, go listen to it. But if you listen to it, you'll understand what's going to happen as I close off today because Cecilia Maxson, I'm calling you out, asked me to close off my sermon the way I used to close off my newscasts. And you have to listen to the story to understand it. So there you go. All right. All right. Let's bow our heads. Oh, man, I keep trying to get out of this. Yes, next week's question. Hey, Ken, we are back with question number two of yeah, what yeah, yeah. I'm going to preach on next week, otherwise known as our Great Questions series. And here is question number two. In the Bible, it seems like there are people who do bad things for God. Is it ever appropriate to do bad things and please God with the bad things that we have done for God? For example, Rahab lied in order to protect the spies that were there in Jericho. And when we read the story of Esther, we can assume that when she spent the night with Ahasuerus that they weren't playing Yahtzee. So here's the question. Is it ever okay to do bad things for God? You guys are bringing it this year, right? I mean, nice job. It's going to be fun. I can't wait and to get home and start studying. All right. 
such good questions. Thank you, guys. This, is, this really is fun for me. I, I, I act like I don't like it, but I love it. My, your, my family will tell you how much I enjoy this. So this is so fun. Thank you, guys, for some really meaningful and thoughtful questions. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we come to you today, uh, and there are a few of us here who are really angry at you today. Um, and there's a few of us that are really in love with you and just head over heels, and the world is you know, rainbows and butterflies. But wherever a person is in this room today, Lord, may they feel your arms around them. And may it be the arms of your whole life children that make up the body of Christ, loving each one. We pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, family, you know I love you. Go love your world. And I am Ken Wetmore. Hi, this is Randy McGray podcast producer and host here at Whole Life Church. Loving people into a lifelong friendship with God is our mission at the Whole Life Church, and our podcasts are designed to help facilitate conversations that help us grow together in that pursuit. Now that you've heard the message for this week, don't forget to check out the Whole Life Takeaways for this message. Swipe up in today's show notes and join the conversation. Speaking of conversations, each Wednesday morning we take a closer look at the week's message. That's right, the one you just listened to. We discuss practical ways to apply spiritual lessons and ask honest questions about the issues we face as Christians, all focused through the lens of grace. Your voice is a welcomed addition to that conversation. We encourage your thoughts and your questions by sending a voicemail or text to 407-965-1607 or send an email to podcast at wholelife.church. You can find everything podcast-related on our website, wholelife.church podcast. And plan on spending every Tuesday evening and Wednesday morning with us as we bring you the Whole Life Church inspiration you love straight into your headphones. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.